Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 90, dedicated to the team that swept the Oakland A's to win the 1990 World Series. The Cincinnati Reds, and as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance. Jameis Winston has a new team, and it says a lot about how he views himself as an NFL quarterback. But first, the Jay Stevens podcast now has a hotline number. And with this number, you can call in to the podcast, send your questions or your comments, and those can be utilized and be featured in future episodes of the podcast. That number is 850-462-5442. Once again, the number is 850-462-5442. That is the hotline number here to the podcast. Send your questions, send your comments in. Those can be utilized and be featured on future episodes of the podcast. Now, I will ask you to leave your name and where you're from so people can know a name and location to whoever is talking at that particular time. This number will be in my Twitter bio. It will be in the bio of the podcast Instagram page. It will be on the Facebook page of the podcast, and it will also be in the notes of this particular episode. So that once again, that number is 850-462-5442, the hotline number to the podcast here, the JC podcast where your voice can be featured and utilized in future episodes of the podcast does the name greg sankey ring a bell because before thursday i had no idea who this gentleman was mr greg sankey is the commissioner of the southeastern conference and right now there are a lot of fans of uh, fans of football schools football teams in the sec that are asking this one question will there be football in the fall Myself, you, a lot of other sports fans are asking the same question. Will there be football in the fall? There are optimists, there are pessimists, there are people that are kind of in, be- in between because they don't know what side of the fence to stand on, to be on, and a lot of people just have questions. And Mr. Greg Sankey, a decision maker in college sports, college at collegiate athletics, he is a guy that can help provide hope or just put some more pessimistic thoughts into your head about football and athletics in the fall. Well, he when, at, when he was being, being posed questions, asked questions about name, image, and like, Will there be uh, fans in the stands? Um, Will there be uh, football in the fall? He went this route with this question when he was being interviewed by Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick show on Thursday and also by a radio show in Jacksonville, Florida. He put this twist on it, and I think it's proper for the day in which we live and for the situation that he is dealing with. Quote, if there's a couple programs that aren't able to play due to the coronavirus, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does End quote. And I completely understand where he's coming from. In collegiate football, in college football, it's all ran different than you may think. A lot of people assume the NCAA is a governing body, and they govern, and they rule, and they are the decision makers for every conference, for every team, for everything that goes on. That actually is wrong. Conferences have their own rules committees. The bowl games are ran privately. The college football playoff is ran privately. The BCS, go back before that, was ran privately. Go back to the 90s, the bowl coalition, the bowl alliance, those were ran privately. So it's all ran privately. The NCAA, yes, it is the, it is the, the, the all the schools are member schools of the NCAA, but there's no governing body for Division 1A football or FBS football. So when it comes down to conferences, if Greg Sankey says, hey, we have 12 or 14 schools, 
schools that can play. The other schools, the governors, have not lifted the bans, have not released, uh, relaxed on the order so that people can play, so that athletics can happen, so that people can be on campus learning, and that potentially we can have fans in the stands. Hey, if your governor hasn't lifted that order, so be it. Literally, just so be it. Other schools can play, and, and Greg Sankey knows, hey, well, I'm in the South, guys. You know how crazy people are about football. I mean, have you seen these Alabama and Auburn games, these Florida and Georgia games? Have you seen this stuff? Have you seen what goes on? This is crazy. This is insane. And I know exactly what this means to my society, to our society. So I understand that I am planning and preparing for football to happen on Labor Day. He said that on the radio show, on the Dan Patrick show, and then also down there in Jacksonville, Florida as well. Hey, Mr. Greg Sankey is doing his job, planning and preparing for things to happen on time. There has been nothing that has been said that there will be no football in the fall. Yes, there are governors now that are re getting a little lax and changing things and putting plans in place to open up, uh, reopen things up and people can start working and things like that. Greg Sankey knows all that. He's living in the same thing we're living in. He understands the importance of athletics, the importance of sports, and how important it is for our society and for our economy for sports to go on. Yes, he is exactly right. If there were 12 schools in the SEC that can play and two of them cannot, a 14-member conference, hey, so be it. Those two schools cannot play. We'll have to miss out on the entire season. The other schools there will be playing. I understand there have been some states that have no stay-at-home order. Hey, good for y'all. Hey, I, I understand it. I respect it from those governors. They make their decisions based off the data that is presented to them. But hey, Mr. Greg Sankey, I, I understand where he's coming from. If there's if if there's not unity there in conferences, if some conferences aren't playing and some are, you don't have to have all those conferences playing. Those commissioners that are playing, they can get together, formulate a schedule, and have a season in the fall. I am here for it. I have been saying for a long time, I believe we will have football. Mr. Greg Sankey provided hope, provided optimistic thoughts and views about the upcoming uh, season, about the upcoming football season. And I know a lot of SEC football fans were really thankful for it. Football is going to be, I believe it's going to be here. Things can change very, very quickly. A lot of states are getting lax on their orders because they know what? Students have to go back to school, elementary, middle school, high school, college. People need to go back to work. And athletics being a big part of our society will come back very soon. And I believe, I do believe it'll be sooner than we think. Let's go ahead and take a trip to Barcelona, the site of the 92 Olympics, because we may never see a team assembled like the Dream Team. This documentary keeps getting better, and I know for sure and understand when you saw at the beginning of episode number five, Kobe Bryant, not just on the court, but his face on the couch and the red hoodie. We're like, ah, man, this documentary is complete. We all know, we all have heard, we all have seen the relationship that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant had. So it was so great. It was so much fun. I got joy out of seeing Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, not just on the court, but Kobe there talking about his own relationship with Mike. And we're talking about that. I'm thinking, man, where am I going to go with this episode? Because I knew going into this episode, there's going to be Kobe and Mike. There's going to be the Dream Team. There's going to be Bulls and Knicks this weekend. I didn't know how they were going to tackle that or go about that or uh, dissect that, those portions of Michael Jordan's career and the Bulls that helped the Bulls get to where they currently are and, uh, and help them be the team that we remember them to be. I wasn't sure. And this episode opened with Kobe and Michael Jordan. Yeah, I could have gone in depth about that. 
Now, let's go a different route. Okay, cool. What about the shoes? You all heard about David Falk and how he was very influential in helping implement that uh, Nike contract, Nike deal with Michael Jordan. The shoe at the time, the shoe of the NBA, was Converse. They had the commercial with Bernard King, Magic Johnson, Dr. J, and Larry Bird. Michael Jordan wanted to go with Adidas. He ultimately went with Nike. Adidas, they weren't sure. They... They said they couldn't make a shoe at that time. Now, you might be wondering, Jay, how in the world is that possible? Well, in their eyes, they didn't believe they could make a shoe for the NBA that would be fashionable and that would make money. That's basically it. They didn't know how it was going to work out. Converse already already had that, already had that unlocked. They weren't sure if they were going to be two shoe brands at the same time that could make money selling a professional basketball player's shoes. They were wrong. Ultimately, he went to Nike. Nike's deal was... $3 $3 million worth of shoes sold in four years. And the first four years of the deal, that was the goal. They ultimately got $126 million worth of shoes. Yeah, I could have gone in that route as well. But ultimately, it was a dream team. Before we get to the dream team, let's go back to those shoes. Y'all Jordan lovers, y'all sneakerheads. How do y'all wear those? Let me go a little bit further. How do y'all play basketball in those? I have owned one pair of Jordans in my life. They are the 14s. And let me tell you, those shoes were very, very, very uncomfortable. And if they were not Jordans, I probably wouldn't have worn them. I wanted to get a pair of Jordans in my lifetime. I got those. Oh, man, I got my Jays. Man, these things cool. My favorite color is red. Red, black, and white. It goes, a lot with, they go with, it goes with a lot of my wardrobe. Yes, I won. So I thought. <laughs> my, my, my wardrobe may have won. My feet, ha, completely different story. We all heard about Mike talking about the game there in the garden where he's having a great game. He's killing, but he knows that his shoes that his shoes are hurting his feet and that his feet are bleeding. But you know what? He don't change shoes, even though he said he needs to change shoes. He doesn't change shoes. He keeps on hooping. At the end of the game, he takes his shoes off his socks. Both socks are full of blood. I know guys in high school tournament time went out and got some new Jays. They was hooping in the Jays. How do y'all do it, man? How do you, there are cats out here right now that go get Jays and hooping them. Those Jays are your hooping shoes. Help me out. Send me send, hey, call the voice line number. Call that number. I said at the beginning of the episode, call the number. Let me know how you hooping Jays because this brother right here don't know how, and he ain't going to try ever again in his life. But the dream team, the greatest team ever assembled. Yes, I understand some people may believe that the 08 Olympic team or the 2012 Olympic team would beat the dream team. Some people, if you want to go back at this time, even in college basketball, you can say, how in the world did Christian Leitner make this over Shaq? Now, remember, Christian Leitner had the better college basketball career over Shaq, uh, college basketball champion and things like that. Um, really good team, uh, multiple Final Fours. It made sense to Christian Leitner for the accolades made it over Shaq, but he did make this dream team. You know what? He was shunned because those guys knew you ain't got no business being on this team. You ain't got no. You should not be around us. You ain't on the same realm as us. So yes, it, it, yeah, he understood very, very quickly. He got the hint. This is our team. You're here. Yeah, you can fill a roster spot basically, but you're trying to get on this on this run in Monte Carlo. <laughs> Young man, this run ain't for you. And on this team. Assemble, like I said, the best team ever assembled, in my opinion, in NBA history. David Robinson, already Bishop Christian Leitner, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Chris Mullen, 
Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson. Don't sleep on Chris Mullen. That dude is a baller. He is a hooper. Go up there in New York, talk about his name. They would, they would tell you about how good he is. The one guy left off, but Jay cannot stop talking about this young man, Isaiah Thomas. And let me tell you, I knew Mike didn't like Isaiah. I forgot. I don't know how I forgot, but Scotty didn't like Isaiah. Larry Bird didn't like Isaiah. Even though Isaiah and Magic Johnson, their boys are cool. Now, at that time, as competitors, they were not. And I completely understand why Michael Jordan said, for chemistry's sake, it makes a whole lot of sense for Isaiah to not be here. They had great team chemistry. They had a great bond. They all got together. And let me tell you, that's what you need right now. That's what you need. At that time, especially, if you're going to be going to another country to represent your country, if there is not a, uh, a unity or uh, togetherness with the team, that's a recipe for disaster. Could you imagine? Could you imagine them being in the middle of the game at a timeout and Isaiah saying, give me the ball, uh, Mike, like, give me the ball. Everybody, everybody knows that Michael Jordan is the best player. In the 93 finals, Charles Brooklyn came out and said, hey, that was the first time I believed that I was not the best basketball player in the world. Everybody else knew that Mike was the best. Everybody knew it. Charles, you can be a little delusional, but hey, it's great that you believe that about yourself, especially in a year. You're saying it in a year that you won the MVP of the regular season. I completely I completely get it. But Mike, the best player, that team, that, that scrimmage here in Monte Carlo, <laughs> man, that trash talk, man, let me tell you. There's trash talk, then there's next level trash talk, then there's trash talk with the elite. You trying to get in a trash talk battle with Matt, with Michael Jordan? Who's the guy that could get back with him? Magic. Who's the guy that, gave, that could get back at him? Larry Bird. Now, granted, at this time, Larry Bird, he was, uh, they didn't, talk, they actually didn't talk about this very much at all in the documentary. I don't think it was mentioned not once. Larry Bird was actually uh, uh, dealing with the bad back. So he was not really, he was hooping, he was playing. But his, his aspect in this scrimmage at Monte Carlo was not there like it was the other players. Just like you heard, Magic Johnson said, hey, uh, we're down we're down eight, and it, this game's almost over. And uh, he starts talking trash to Mike. I forget exactly what he said word for word verbatim the quote. But you know what? He said, before I knew it, Mike started, uh, he hit a three. <laughs> he hit another three. We <laughs> drove in the middle and dunked with somebody and put up a layup. Next thing you know, I just I just went over uh, over six points. I know they were down eight. Next thing you know, he said, Mike, we didn't score. Mike scored. Next thing you know, we're down two. You never talk trash to Mike. You never, ever, ever talk trash to Mike. You know another thing about this dream team? It wasn't just the aspect that they went there and won, represented the NBA, or represented the country. But what is the aspect that they were the first time, it was the first time that the country allowed professional basketball players, players in the NBA, to represent the country? What is the fact that they, they, that they won every game by a minimum of 32 points? No, not wasn't that at all. Could you imagine being Tony Kukoc? Could you imagine being Tony Kukoc and you're hearing, wow, the, the GM of this team came over to, to my country, came over to my country, came over, came over to my league to uh, scout me, to see how I played, uh, get some more intel on me, to figure out things about me as a basketball player. Oh, yeah, he came over here to see me. I have a team. I'm getting drafted by the Bulls. Oh, my gosh. At the time of 1990, they had not won an NBA championship yet. You know what? In 1990, that season, they got – no, excuse me. He got drafted in the 1990 draft. That same season that he got drafted, they won their first ring. So all of a sudden, Michael Jordan, Scotty Hibbert, don't know the backstory on all this. Don't know all. Don't know what's going on. Tony Kukos doesn't know the backstory. All he knows is these guys. 
<laughs> they are on me like white on rice. And let me tell you, if you want to see some sticky, sticky defense, go back on YouTube. Look up the games when when Tony Kukoc and the Yugoslavian team played Michael Jordan and the USA team in the 92 Barcelona, Barcelona Olympics. Hey, 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 you're going to see some sticky, sticky defense. And I'm like, hey, man, look. Y'all mad? Y'all y'all mad at Tony? Tony didn't Tony didn't do nothing. Didn't do anything at all. Y'all frustrated with Jerry? So y'all taking it out on Tony? Does it seem ruthless? Does it seem unfair? Yeah, a little bit. But you know what? That's what fueled Michael. And I think that's one thing that's great about Michael Jordan. Yeah, all these things here. Michael Jordan is able to find fuel in anything, anything. He can hold a grudge, that fuels him. You talk trash, that fuels him. You go behind his back or you go overseas to scout somebody to bring him in to help the team. And, well, nobody knows who he is. We're going to face him in the, in the Olympics. Hey, I'm going to represent my country. I'm going to cover up that Reebok symbol on the jumpsuit. Hey, hey, Mike, hey, power to you, man. Keep it. Checks over stripes, checks over everything else, and just keep doing exactly what you're doing. But, hey, Jerry Krause kind of put, I wouldn't say he put Tony Kukoc in a bad spot, but that's exactly what Michael Jordan did. He's like, hey, Jerry, you want to go out and get this guy? Okay, cool, go go whatever. But I'm going to go out and be very, very sticky and, and just put my stamp on this right now and saying, hey, Tony, I don't know you. I don't know nothing. All I know is there's some things going on with you and the team, and this is how I am going to retaliate and get out some of my frustration about that very thing. Michael Jordan, the dream team, the best team, like I said, ever assembled, put together. Isaiah not being there. I understand. I know it's tough for a lot of people to grasp Isaiah Thomas not being there on the dream team. I actually did a poll on Twitter. I'm going to start doing daily polls. They're great conversation starters. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, I know I say my Twitter my Twitter name at the end of every single episode, at jsteven07, daily polls out there. The poll I did recently, I think it was past Friday, Friday or Saturday, one of the two days, it was who would you pick to be on the Dream Team, to be the backup point guard on the Dream Team, Isaiah Thomas or John Stockton? 38 people voted, and it was a tie, a dead tie so i'm going to break the tie here on this episode um it kind of fitting that this was actually talked about once again here on the documentary john stockton is my pick um defender great on offense great orchestrator and i think he's an all-around better teammate than isaiah thomas now isaiah thomas is a bad teammate I'm thinking about a better teammate, a guy that fits that mold, a guy that could be the orchestrator of the offense and not a guy that is going to be the uh, main scorer of the offense at the point guard position is going to be John Stockton. The dream team, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, the shoes, all this stuff in episode number five, this thing keeps getting better. Guys, 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 if you're not keeping up with this, if this is a spoiler alert for you, I'm only talking about a little bit in a 10, 11, 12-minute segment for each um, episode of the podcast. Hey, catch up. Come with us. You're late to the party. This thing's only getting better, and it's not going to stop. Think back to the Dennis Rodman episode, episode number three. Toward the end of that episode, they talked about Dennis Rodman's trip, 48-hour trip to Vegas, uh, where he said, hey, hey, Phil, I need to be away for 48 hours. I'll be back in 48 hours. I just, I just need a vacation. Mind you, this is in the middle of the season. There are games going on. There are practices, practices he'll miss. Hey, Phil, I need to go to Vegas. So Phil goes to Mike. Mike says, Phil, let him go. Excuse me? Phil goes to Mike. Mike says, Phil, I got this. It's okay. Let him go. 
Once again, Phil's like, excuse me, I don't understand this. So Phil goes to Mike. Mike's like, hey, man, look, Dennis is a different cat. I have the I, I I know this is different for you. I have the pulse of the team. This would be this is what's best for us, which is also also might I add what's best for Dennis. Let Dennis go. Come back in forty eight hours. Huh, we'll be fine. Dennis goes goes wild. Goes to Vegas. Does whatever he does. Nine day marriage with Carmen Electra. The rest is history. He comes back to the team, and as I've been told, actually in a, a different interview, he comes back to the team. Was back there in forty eight hours. But wasn't actually back with the team in 48 hours. He was in Vegas for 48 hours, came back to Chicago. Ultimately, Michael Jordan had to go to the room, knock on the door. Carmen Electra hides behind the couch. Dennis Harmon comes out of comes out of the room, goes back to the team. The Indian run. <laughs> the rest is history. Well, eventually, what, what ends up happening is someone, I was actually in a podcast group, a podcast um, called the Empty Envy Sports. They do what's called the Huddle Up every Monday evening. Uh, the podcasters that are part of that network get together. There are topics we talk about, and we just have a good old time going through topics. Um, we have we may have a topic where we talk about some things. Um, then there may be just some group discussions, things like things like that. Well, in the midst of the group discussion, someone came out and said, "I know." This documentary is not going to talk about Dennis Rodman's trip to Vegas, and they're not going to talk about Michael Jordan's trip to Atlantic City. Well, this is when that comes up. You may be like, hey, um, excuse me, um, conference finals, Eastern Conference finals against the Knicks, down 2-0. Mike, can he overcome this? Yeah. Mike, is he human? No. But can Mike overcome this in his normal ways? Yes, he can. But part of Michael Jordan's ways of getting over uh, roadblocks and mental blocks in his head was gambling. I mean, all throughout this documentary, there's Michael Jordan gambling, Michael Jordan playing cards. It's Michael Jordan doing what he does and what he enjoys to do. Take money out of your pocket and put it into his. Even in this, even in this episode, I believe it was this episode, um, midway through, they said the guys in the back of the plane, uh, Michael Jordan, Ron Harper, Scottie Pippen, those guys would be in the back of the plane and they would be gambling they would be gambling for thousands and thousands of dollars while you have john paxson will purdue a bj armstrong other guys in the front of the plane or front of the bus wherever they are they're just playing for dollar bills hey i got a dollar on this game dollar for that game we're good so mike as odd as it would sound to us if you're playing for thousands why would you go and play for a dollar so mike goes from the back of the plane to the front of the plane to go from playing for thousands to playing for a dollar a game and john paxton looks at michael jordan and says hey what are you doing up here we're only playing for a dollar a game and mike says yeah i understand that but i want to win this game so i can take money out of your pocket and put it into mine. And you're like, yeah, you're like, hey, Mike, you're so arrogant, man. What you doing, man? Calm down. No, that's Michael Jordan's mindset. His mindset was all, I'm ultra, I'm super competitive, more competitive than anybody else out there. And ultimately, I'm with, I want you to take money out of your pocket and put it into mine. That's exactly what Mike did. And actually, at this time, Easter Conference Finals, down 2-0, what would you do? What would you do if you were down in this roadblock and you and you just felt defeated a little bit? You felt down. You didn't know how to get over this obstacle. You knew how to do it, but ultimately doing it the normal way that you did, it was a little bit different, a little bit odd, a little more confusing. You, you think about it. You have been in the league since 84. 
You have been the best player in the league most of that time. You have just won two championships in a row. The weight of the city is on your shoulders. The weight of the team is on your shoulders. You're down 2-0 to a team that's really, really good. Pat Riley, Patrick Ewing, John Starks. Hey, we all saw that that dunk that he did in the, in this game when he when he uh, drove baseline and dunked on what seemed like the team. And Sue Bird came in uh, during a break and actually said, hey, I know this is about Michael Jordan, but my, one of my favorite moments was when John Starks dunked on on Michael Jordan. Hey, I get that. But what would you do if you're down two against a foe like this? Do what you do to release and to relax your mind. So Michael Jordan, his dad, went down to Atlantic City. They went down there. Gambling came back to the team. And Michael Jordan was right. Like, I'm not a gambler. I don't gamble. I don't bet. I don't, I don't bet on sports. That's kind of part of my upbringing. And then myself as an adult, why would I do that? Why would I put money out there gambling on things, but my, putting my money in a place well where I am not in control of it? I am I am betting on, oh, let's say I'm going to bet on who's going to win the World Series in the fall. Is it going to be a World Series in the fall? I don't know. Or I'm going to bet on, oh, let's see. I'm going to bet that we're going to have uh, football in the fall, that basketball is going to finish its season, that the NHL is not going to finish its season. I'm going to bet on all of that. Does that sound to me just the way I think about things? I know I'm one person and in a, in a, in a sea of a lot of people. That's very, very odd. I want to just go ahead, download DraftKings, uh, download FanDuel's, download their apps, their sports book, and just start betting on games. Oh, oh, Ohio State, Michigan. I'm going to bet on Michigan this time. They haven't won uh, since Luke Fickle was the coach at Ohio State in the down year when Ohio State was on probation in the year in between Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer being there uh, coaching. Oh, I'm going to bet on that. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But hey, that's what you're going to do. Um, you're gonna, I'm going to bet on other things. I'm going to bet on, oh, I'm going to bet on just some odd things as a fan. It doesn't make sense. Sports gambling doesn't make sense at all. I know people that have been in uh, sports gambling for 10, 12, 14 years, another podcaster as well, who actually said he stopped betting on sports because of the way that it, the way that it shaped how he watched games. You're watching for the spray. You're not watching for you After a while, you're not watching for enjoyment. You're not watching for the entertainment factor. You're watching the game. If you're betting on sports, most of the time, you're watching it, watching the fun, watching um, the, the the spread, and and watching to see oh how many points are scored in this quarter, or or if you're a prop better, or uh, is it heads or tails? You're betting on all these different things, and ultimately. You may find enjoyment out of the, all of that because you're good at what you're good at. It. There are a lot of people out there that are not good gamblers. <laughs> Think about it. Michael Jordan had to, had to pay a guy $57,000. And you're saying Michael Jordan makes that in a day. Oh, who cares? Who? That's Michael Jordan. $57,000 in the hole. And you're writing a check to this guy named, named Slim Buller. I believe I got his name right. Slim Buller, a golf hustler. He, he let this to sink in. You're playing golf with a guy that's a hustler. Michael Jordan is a hustler. Michael Jordan is a competitor. He's ultra competitive, one of the most competitive people we were ever watched play a sport. But you know what? When a hustler, when a, when a competitive guy meets a hustler, what happens? Their egos go at it. <laughs> Slim got that one. Slim got the money. The rest is history. Once again, Atlantic City came up. We all know that Mike has uh, Mike has a gambling issue. That's 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 no secret. They had they had to talk about that and talk about that very well because you know what? Atlantic City in '93, Atlantic City led to Michael Jordan and his dad. And you know what? Shortly after that, his dad passed away, which ultimately they're going to talk about. I believe in the next episode, Michael Jordan um, retiring from basketball the very first time. But Atlantic City, yeah, that's bad. But 
it was more of a pinpoint of how Michael Jordan viewed gambling. Where he's playing quarters with guys in the hallway, man. It's, you know how dumb it says? But that's just Mike. That's just what he did. That's just who he is as an individual. A gambler. A competitor. Never saw himself to lose. He doesn't bet against his team. He bets against himself. Uh, the referee, Tim Tim Donahue, he, had, he, put a, he put a movie out recently about sports gambling and how it how it affected his life, affected his marriage, affected his relationship with his kids. Uh, Bob Bowie, I believe, was one of the guys. I forget the other guy there um, in, the, in the movie, in that group there that were uh, there that were uh, betting on games together. It shapes you. It shapes your mind. Michael Jordan is correct. Gambling's not illegal. It's not illegal for anybody to, to gamble and to bet being a professional athlete. He's exactly right when he said that. But you can tell how it shapes his mind. And how it shaped his mind was already being was already being formed and being shaped early on, early, early, early in his life. If Michael Jordan wasn't so competitive, I don't believe he would be in Atlantic City. I don't believe he would make that trip. And honestly, that trip itself—if you make a—if you make a take leave, take a trip, uh, you come back. At, I, I believe it was two thirty in the morning. He said twelve thirty-one. The change, the time out of his mouth, kind of changed a little bit versus what was reported there two thirty in the morning there there at that time. Hey, I get it, guys. I get it. Michael Jordan going to Atlantic City to some people is a big deal. But ultimately, to me, that trip there, even though I'm not for gambling, I understand why he went. He needed to uh, release his mind. Him and his dad needed to hang out. They knew exactly how to do that. It's not the end of the world. It's not. But I think the lasting image with this episode when it was shaped about gambling, when it was shaped about, well, parts of it. Uh, part of the middle was was gambling. They talked about the Bulls and Knicks. Then also the 93 finals with him and Charles Barkley, when Charles Barkley came out and won MVP. And uh, he ended up talking about, the, he gave this quote at the end about that battle in the 93 finals with Michael Jordan. Quote, sports are like a gunfight, and we lost to the fastest gun. End quote. Very, very accurate statement. It's just like a gunfight. The fastest gun, the fastest gun win at that time, Michael Jordan was ultimately the fastest gun. But I will leave this episode with this image Ahmad Rashad interviewing Michael Jordan about gambling. And Mike has sunglasses on. You may not be a sunglasses guy, but when you know you're already having a gambling issue, drinking and cigars or things you do on a regular basis, hey, you may go out, you may come in for the interview, you had the sunglasses on. It was very, very interesting at how dark that was as well. Not saying Mike's eyes are bloodshot red or that Mike had a little uh, little too much to drink the night before or right before the interview, but it's dark and the sunglasses are on. Mike, come on, man. You could have hit that a little bit better. Speaking of someone that needs to do things a little bit better, the name Jameis Winston comes to mind. Before we get to Jameis and talk about him and his new team, the New Orleans Saints, I want to remind you of the Jay Stevens podcast hotline that I mentioned at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the episode. That number is 850-462-5442. Call that number. Leave your questions or comments uh, to the podcast. Those questions or comments can be utilized as content in future episodes of the podcast. That number will be in my Twitter bio at all times. Will be in the Instagram page bio at all times. Will be on the show's Facebook page, The J. Stevens Podcast, on Instagram at J. Stevens Podcast. It will also be in the details or the notes of this podcast as well. Jameis Winston, when you think of that name, when you hear that name after last season, one of these three things or all of them may come to your mind. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, 
threw for over 5,000 yards. And with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay, we all kind of knew, actually we all kind of knew after last season, James Winston may no longer be the quarterback in Tampa Bay. But when Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay, it was all pretty sure locked up that Bruce Arians was not going to have him come back to be the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I had Mr. Craig Campbell come on the podcast recently of the final score. They're doing their uh, March movie or their movie madness right now, breaking down and, and voting on the best sports movie there is right now. And they're doing a phenomenal job with that. Him and Craig, or excuse me, uh, Craig Campbell, him and Chris, excuse me, do a phenomenal, phenomenal job there with the final score. Well, when Craig was on here with me, we talked about Jameis Winston and Cam Newton, and he said he thought that Cam Newton would get picked up first before Jameis Winston would actually end up having a better season next year over Jameis Winston and would actually start more games than Jameis Winston. Well, lo and behold, the person that is still out there not signed at the moment at the time of this recording, late, late Sunday evening going into Monday morning as well, is Cam Newton. Cam Newton, Cameron Newton is not locked up, has no contract. Jameis Winston currently has a contract. That contract is only for one. 1.1 million and I believe it's only for one year as well so one year small money it makes sense for the team but Jameis Winston humbling himself and putting himself in this, in this situation is huge huge guys I mean you got a guy Florida State the man the man national championship went to the playoff the very next year first year of the playoff so even though he had issues as a quarterback with t uh, turnovers and things like that he was still winning and he was still playing at a high enough level for his team to be very successful comes into the NFL Tampa Bay Buccaneers hard to believe he's already been in the league four or five seasons but that is where he is currently with his career Jameis Winston man he needs to learn how to read a defense as I told you, as I said before, I am a Jameis Winston guy. I want to see him. I want to see him do well, do very, very well. I know he has not done well, and to my uh, and based off some of my calculations, it would take a lot based off your calculations and based off his play for quite some time. It would take a lot, a whole lot for Jameis Winston to play a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. But it can be done. And what I have noticed with Jameis Winston, heard him on an interview with Dan with Dan Patrick of the Dan Patrick Show. Wow, Dan gets, Dan gets a lot of great guests. Well, when Jameis Winston was on there, no, excuse me, it wasn't Dan Patrick. It was Rich Eisen um, at a different time. I think it was uh, Thursday or Friday, same day or on Friday, one of the two. That escapes my memory. But he was on the interview with Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen was asking him, was asking him questions, and he was talking about him going to the Saints. And Jameis Winston made this comment. This is the a great way, a great place for me to learn. I mean, I have Drew Brees. I have Sean Payton. I have uh, first Bella Hall of Famer. I have one, one of the best coaches here in the game right now. Two guys that I can learn from. I can learn from a coach's perspective. I can learn from a player's perspective. I can learn from people that have been in the Super Bowl, that have won the Super Bowl, that have won rings, that know what it takes to uh, get better, to adjust to the times of football. And Jameis Winston, yes, he has LASIK, and he even made, he even made a joke that he could see Nat that his wife could not see there <laughs> the day of their wedding, which he recently got married. Congratulations to Jameis Winston there with tying the knot there with his woman. But he even made comments about that and how he could how he could see Nats. Hey, yes, Nats a joke, and seeing Nats great, good for you. I uh, couldn't see Nats before, but now you can. LASIK surgery does wonders for the eyes. But what I am hoping for, what I'm anticipating, 
One, I do believe Jameis Winston will be the backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I think it would be very, very odd. I understand that that um, Taysom Hill's contract is like seven-plus million dollars right now, and Jameis Winston's at 1.1. So you think of the salary discrepancy right there or the contract discrepancy right there, you're going ahead and you're going to go ahead and put the guy that makes more money at the backup role. I think different. I think they knew that there is a guy in Jameis Winston who is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. He is not a backup quarterback in the NFL. They also knew that there was a guy that if he's able to humble himself and to say, hey, I got Drew Brees, I have Sean Payton, I know what I did last year with Bruce Arians, a Byron left, which wasn't good enough, well, it wasn't good at all. Um, the numbers, the, the touchdowns for Godwin and uh, Mike Evans were good, the passing yards were good. But other than that, the 30 interceptions, first 30-30 club, bro, that's not good at all. And here's a chance for me to learn from greats, to learn from Hall of Famers. A first ballot, I'm pretty sure Sean Payton will be in the Hall of Fame as well. Learn from these guys. Be, be basically, be a student again. Allow them to teach me. Allow myself to mold into uh, mold and just say, hey, they say do this. I do it. Wow, it's successful. They say don't do that. I don't do that. Wow, I am successful. And over and over and over, numerous film sessions, numerous phone calls, numerous times where he's right there by Drew Brees and Sean Payton while they're talking him through different things that are going on on the field so Jameis can be a better quarterback this may be the best career move that Jameis Winston will make in his career not saying it's the best not going to be a hyperbole guy but it may be one of the best moves in his career that he can make to better himself as a starting quarterback in the National Football League one quick note before I get out of here and wrap this thing up we all he, we all saw Jameis Winston first year under Bruce Arians offense how he threw a lot of interceptions We'll go back and look at Ben Roethlisberger birth, first year under uh, Bruce Arians. Go back and look at Peyton Manning first year under Bruce Arians. Go back and look at, oh, Andrew Luck first year under Bruce Arians. You're going to find their interception totals were pretty high as well. So was it Bruce Arians? Was it Jameis Winston? Ha! Huh. Only time will tell. Thank you for listening to another episode of the J. Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you would love to connect with the show and you're not on Twitter, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmo.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for new podcasts to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 90 of the J. Stevens Podcast. I'll see you next time.